Welcome to No Tourists Allowed, a podcast where two recognized travel industry executives with a combined 69 years on the inside of travel and technology give up their secrets to the thing everyone wants to do. Travel better, pay less, and see more of the world. Enjoy today's episode. Hello, I'm Mike Putman. And I'm James Ferrara. And welcome to No Tourist Allowed. We're glad you're here for episode eight. Yeah, and amazing, Mike. We got through the introduction. You know, I the 69 years, I always trip on the 69 years of combined uh, industry experience. Like, why didn't we just say 70? You know, we're so truthful. I know this is a, a podcast about accuracy, news numbers. You know, we got to be right on, James. You're right. You're right. And the math, you know, is correct. You 60 years, me nine years. It, you know. <laughs> yeah, you started when you were 55. That's great. <laughs> okay. Listen, we have an amazing guest with us uh, today and uh, very excited to speak with him. And I think we're going to go right to it, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So uh, with us today is Adolfo Perez, the Senior Vice President of Global Sales and Trade Marketing at Carnival Cruise Line. It's a big title, but he has a lot of responsibility. Um, uh, is a good pal of ours, uh, but also uh, an incredibly important guy in the travel industry, uh, the face of Carnival to travel agents and travel sellers, not just in the U.S., uh, but around the world. And we're going to talk about that in a sec. Um, Carnival itself, uh, just in case you need a reminder, is the flagship brand of Carnival Corporation, the world's largest leisure travel company. And uh, Carnival has a fleet, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, uh, Adolfo will correct me, a fleet of, I believe, 23 ships sailing nearly 6 million guests annually, uh, employing more than 40,000 people, I found out, in 120 nations around the globe. But uh, about Adolfo, uh, what always um, really strikes me is that he has more than 40 years experience at this brand, at Carnival Cruise Line. Uh, and before you do the math and think he must be 80 years old, he actually started with Carnival at 16. Um, in his career, he's helped launch 34 Carnival ships. And um, amongst a lot of other accolades and uh, a lot more detail we could give you, I'll just sum up by saying uh, I was there last year when Cruise Lines International Association, or earlier this year, uh, Cruise Lines International Association, which we refer to as CLIA, uh, the Trade and Marketing Association for the Cruise Lines, uh, awarded Adolfo their Lifetime Achievement Award for 2022. And again, uh, Lifetime Achievement Award, I think I said to you that night, Adolfo, you're not old enough for this award. <laughs> <laughs> and we certainly don't want it to be a period at the end of your career, but um, an amazing accomplishment. And everybody, the reaction was, um, you know, this is someone who really deserves it and someone who's universally loved. So we're really uh, privileged to have you with us today. Thank you. 
for joining us. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it, guys. Uh, it really is my honor to be here um, that you asked me to, to join you for this podcast. Um, and uh, you were right on the number of ships. I have to tell you that I had to check those numbers before <laughs> because, you know, there's been so much movement uh, in the past couple of years with some of the retirements of the uh, fantasy class ships that uh, I wasn't 100% sure if 23 was right, but we currently have 23 ships sailing. So our entire fleet uh, has been operating now uh, for quite some time. We were the first major cruise line to have 100% of its fleet operating. Um, we do have, uh, like I said, the 23 ships. We also have five additional ships that will be joining the fleet over the next two years. Uh, first, uh, the uh, Carnival Luminosa that's going to start sailing uh, out of Australia beginning in November of this year. Um, she was uh, part of the Costa brand, and she's being retrofitted, and she will be now the Carnival Luminosa. Um, and she'll be doing half the year out of Brisbane in uh, Australia and half the year in Alaska for the Alaska season. And then, oh, I almost forgot, the celebration, actually. Carnival Celebration will be sailing in November. That's the second in our Excel class ship uh, 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 series. And um, she is uh, going to be amazing, just like her sister ship, the Mardi Gras. We can talk about that more a little bit if you want to later. Um, and then we have another Costa ship joining the Carnival fleet, the uh, Carnival of Venezia, sailing uh, from New York year-round starting next year in the spring. And then we have the Carnival Jubilee joining the fleet at the end of next year. And then the Carnival Firenze, uh, which also coming from the Costa fleet, um, uh, that will be joining us as well. So we will have 28 ships at that point operating um, uh, by the end of next year. Um, and probably not till the beginning of 24, I guess, is when the, uh, when the Fidenza will be arriving. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been, it's been an amazing 40 years and you're right. I'm not old enough to have a lifetime achievement award. I should still have, <laughs> I still have more years to go. Um, but, uh, well, listen, yeah, all those, right. all those new ships, I mean, you're birthing ships left and right. So I, that's where I wasn't really sure about my numbers. And that's yeah. really, really exciting, amazing. I know our listeners are uh, going to be very interested in that. But we're going to start um, with Mike's tradition. Uh, this is like, you ever watch uh, Actors Studio and uh, that pompous guy uh, reads the questions <laughs> from like some French philosopher who came up with like these rapid fire questions. Yeah, I absolutely so, know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. Okay, so Mike Mike thinks he's like that guy and has come up with uh, a series of questions that we throw at our guests to begin the interview. So Mike, I'm going to let you do your thing. Okay, so I'm the pompous ass travel agent, I guess. Uh, and I'll start, start asking you these. So, so Adolfo, uh, and thank you so much for joining. But um, yeah, so we've yep. got some rapid fire questions, and these are just kind of you know, can be one word, can be a phrase, uh, just whatever uh, is true to you and comes to your mind. We just like to learn a little bit more about the individual and their travel likes and dislikes. So sure. the first first question is, what is your favorite destination? So my favorite destination, I mean, this really is hard to pin down, but if something pops up in my head right away, it would have to be St. John in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Um it's not necessarily where one of our ships docks or ship, you know, we have ships that dock in St. Thomas and you have to take a ferry over to St. John, but it is probably one of the most beautiful spots on the planet that I've ever been to. The, the water, uh, the seawater there is just 
turquoise, crystal clear. Um, it's a it's a national park as well, so there's very little um, building, you know, or, or commerce on the island. Uh, it's basically an island that's a, a national park with some hotels and some some homes and a little re- retail. But for the most part, it is uh, just this spectacular slice of heaven on earth. Um, and it actually holds a really special place in uh, in my heart uh, that you guys will learn about on the ship uh, when we sail this week. So I'm not right. going to tell you now because you might, I might have to cry and I don't want to. <laughs> there, there is a, a legendary resort there um, that I visited with my parents when I was a kid, Keneal yes. Bay. Too, so. Oh, yeah. It's no longer there, by the way, or it's shut. Yeah. Um, no. It's uh, Yeah, that was a beautiful rock resort. I was going to bring that up. Yep. Yep. One of my favorite places, but uh, yeah, uh, the, the island in itself is beautiful. Lots of uh, natural parks um, uh, all around the island, in the mountains, on the beach. It's just a beautiful, scenic place to go. All right, let's move on to the next rapid-fire question. Um, what is your favorite hotel chain? Or independent property? <laughs> <laughs> I'm breaking this in two because we're going to skip one of the questions. Okay, so um, huh, favorite hotel team. That's a tough one. I mean, um, it would. Oh, I know the the uh, oh god the Andas in uh, in New York. That that brand is really interesting. Uh, I forgot who you know who owns that that chain. What part of you know if it's Bonvoy or or uh, SPG? I'm not sure. It's Hyatt, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, so that's I would say that's one of the coolest uh, hotel chains that I've you know stayed at in a couple of their properties. Um, first one I stayed at was in New York, and uh, very hip, cool, different. The rooms were uh, really like designed that I like, very um, modern, uh, minimal, not you know overcrowded, and very functional. So uh, I would say that's probably my favorite hotel chain if I had to pick one. That is a good one for sure. It is. Okay, get- and that is a Hyatt. That's their luxury boutique brand. And you know, I'm all about luxury, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got yeah. style, Adolfo. I'm not surprised <laughs> at the choice. And that's going to come out probably in some of our other uh, topics that we discussed today. But you're a stylish guy. Absolutely. So, Adolfo, what is your favorite individual hotel? So, I got to stay at this hotel and. Um, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna get mad at me because I don't remember the name of it. But it was, um, it was in Spain in the wine country uh, Ribera del Duero, and it was, um, uh, it was a Frank Gehry hotel building that is just a piece of art, you know, sit, sat, sitting in this amazing uh, natural beauty that. Um, and you, if I don't know if you guys want fi- to look it up, but um, I can't remember the name of the hotel. It's. It's the Marques de Rescal, I think. That's the one, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. That hotel, I mean, you know, Frank Gehry is probably one of my favorite architects. Um, and, uh, he does some really cool stuff. And this hotel is just a piece of art, you know, sitting in this beautiful landscape, um, you know, surrounded by vineyards and mountains and rolling hills and all that. So uh, it was it was definitely a, a really... Uh, special place that I got to stay and uh, I loved it. So that would be my favorite independent property. Um, our listeners might know Frank Gehry's work from other things like the um, museum in Bilbao, yeah. right? That's yep. 
a, a famous one, but also work in Japan and elsewhere, really modernist uh, architect. I'm not sure exactly where that hotel is. It's in wine country, but in Spain, but I don't know. Yeah, it's. I remember that I forgot the exact location, but I thought it was in that Rivera del Duero area that is, that's the mm. region of wine. Um, but it is, uh, yeah, it's spectacular. And actually, Frank Gehry uh, did our symphony hall in uh, Miami Beach. Um, oh, and yeah. it's, you know, and it had, and it, it was actually, it's a little different than most of the stuff because all of the, cool stuff that you would imagine he would do uh, is on the inside because obviously Miami is, a, you know, in a hurricane zone. Um, and a lot of the stuff that he designs uh, is, you know, kind of very art, uh, almost aerial and, you know, with curves and things. And so from the outside, you can't necessarily tell he's done it, but on the inside um, it's, you can tell it's, you know, designed by him. So it's pretty, uh, pretty spectacular place. Right. Great. And Mike, are you planning to skip the cruise line question? <laughs> yeah, that's just too, it's too easy. I'm not going to give him that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, let's hear about ship though. The sort of second part of that would be interesting to know if Adolfo has a favorite ship. Well, I do I actually do have a favorite ship and it's, and it's really hard because, you know, like you said, we do have 23 ships. Um, at some point or another, each of them has been my favorite ship. Um, but, you know, typically when you get a new one, like the Mardi Gras, and the Mardi Gras has been such a revolution in the design and the styling um, and the offerings on board uh, that, you know, it for sure is my favorite. And I'm sure when the carnival celebration starts sailing in November, I'm going to feel the same thing about her because we tend to improve with each subsequent ship in that class and add a few more things and make some design changes. And I already know of a few design changes that I think were really uh, smart ideas uh, for the celebration. Um, so I'd have to say Mardi Gras. Uh, the other thing that's really cool about Mardi Gras is the first uh, cruise ship based in the United States or in North America that is uh, uh, powered by liquefied natural gas. And I know that um, you know Carnival has made a big commitment to the environment uh, through in many different ways over the past many years. We were just going over some of the those things in a meeting yesterday because uh, it, at, at the beginning of every single meeting we talk about our commitment to the environment the places we visit and the peoples whose places we visit as well as our guests or crew members and team members on board. So um, that to me is really cool. Although it's, you know, it's, it is, it is the cleanest burning uh, fossil fuel. It is by far not, you know, it still is fossil fuel, but it's still the cleanest. Um, so I'm proud that we've been able to, uh, we had to invest actually in creating a way for the ship to be refueled because it didn't exist in the U.S. Uh, there are cargo ships in, that have been powered by LNG for a while, um, but no cruise ship in the U.S. So we actually had to, we had to partner with a, I forgot which oil company or, or you know, uh, fuel company that uh, to build a special barge so that the, uh, the ship could be uh, refueled in Port Canaveral. Um, so we've invested not only in the technology on board the ship, but also had to invest in the, in the ability to refuel the ship um, as uh, you know, she needs to be refueled, obviously, so she can continue cruising throughout the weeks. Um, and uh, so that that to me is something you know really special about it as well. So it's a it's definitely a good uh, good favorite ship for now. Let's see what celebration great. does. Yeah, and great. So being, Mike, uh, you had a custom question. So Adolfo, being the senior vice president of Global Sales, we know you travel extensively. And would love to hear what your favorite non-U.S. airline might be. 
My favorite non-U.S. airline that I have been on was um, uh, uh, Qatar. I sail, I flew from, a, let me tell you, it's a hell of a flight, but there's a nonstop flight from uh, uh, Doha to Miami that's uh, just over 16 hours. And uh, their service is impeccable. The, the plane was great. It was a, a Dreamliner. Um, so uh, the... Uh, the uh, you know the atmosphere on board the plane is a little bit more uh, has a little bit more humidity not as dry as a regular airplane so you're, in theory you're supposed to <laughs> come off of it with less jet lag and all um, but you know 16 hours is 16 hours there's just a certain number of movies you can watch and <laughs> yeah. you know sleeping pills you can take to to make it through 16 hours but um, uh, they you know I, I'd say that was probably my favorite one uh, that I've flown on that's an international carrier. Um, that's one of my tops too, and 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 I got to tell you, the seven eight seven Dreamliner, which is made in South Carolina, by the way, is my favorite aircraft uh, for that very reason. Uh, on these long haul flights, it it really does take a toll on your body, and yeah. you, you do feel a bit more refreshed, or I guess less weary might be the right way of What's putting it. What's the longest flight you've been on in one of those? On one of those, um, hmm, I did do uh. Tar, but that was from London. Um, I did Spain to New York, so it wasn't that long. Yeah, so sixteen hours. I mean, that's yeah, just you've got me brutal. beat by double. <laughs> so, so that, so that was a really interesting. I don't know if you guys have time to hear this little quick story, but I was uh, uh, attending a, a one of our partners' uh, elite travel advisor uh, uh, trips that we, you know, help sponsor, uh, in uh, Asia. So we went from Vietnam to Cambodia. So when I flew there, I flew into uh, Vietnam, I flew West, you know, through LA, LA, Hong Hong, uh, Tokyo, Tokyo, then to, um, to Vietnam. And the return was supposed to be from Cambodia back through Hong Kong to LA, back to Miami. And if you remember a couple of years ago, I forgot what year it was. Uh, it was a few years ago. There was that whole big, uh, demonstrations that were going on at the airport in Hong Kong. So they canceled my flight. So I got stuck, not, you know, in a good way, thank God, because I loved it. I loved it where we were um, for three more days. But I had to fly back from uh, Siem Reap to Bangkok, Bangkok to Doha, Doha to Miami. So I literally circumnavigated the earth on that trip. That was the first time I had ever done that. Um, And uh, so just a little interesting little story oh. i never thought i'd do that so nugget. yeah my longest flight though was on uh singapore um and actually i did the same thing uh that you did i went all the way around the world but singapore has retrofitted um uh i think triple seven seven yeah and it's all business class and they took out a lot of seats to put in extra fuel mm-hmm. capacity but it's nonstop new york to yeah. um Singapore. I think that's the longest flight or something that. It yeah, passed. it was. It was nineteen hours. <clears throat> yeah, so really long, really long. Well, I do, well, actually, triple seven is one of my favorite planes. Triple seven three hundreds. Adolfo, you are also responsible for Australia for Carnival. Do you travel there regularly? So I actually took on the responsibility um, just before the pandemic. So um, I got to go to Sydney for the launch of the Splendor when we brought the Splendor to Sydney to replace the Spirit. Um, I flew in for literally one day. I got in. It was. It, I flew into Sydney, um, went to the ship, 
sailed for a one night cruise, got off the ship. And the next afternoon I was on a flight back to Miami because I had to go to New York for the travel weekly awards um, and make it there. But after that, after that marathon flight, I canceled New York when I got home because I was just like, there's no way I can do this. (laughs) I know I was sitting with you when we got (laughs) right. I was, I was at your table and uh, you weren't able to make it that night. No, no, I was, Uh, yeah, I was. But how long were those flights? So the, uh, that one I flew through uh, Dallas. So uh, my favorite domestic airline is American. Um, and I flew Miami, Dallas, Dallas to Sydney. Uh, and actually it was Qantas from Dallas to Sydney and Qantas from Sydney back to Dallas. Um, those hours, I think it's like 14-ish hours. I can't remember exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, that one's 17. I've done that one too, Dallas yeah. too. Yeah, I was going to say. And then that one, uh, I'm actually going to Australia for the launch uh, again of the Splendor. Uh, she didn't get a very long time in uh, in, in Australia because, as you know, the, the shutdown uh, prevented us from sailing. Uh, you know, probably I think it was March, and the ship launched in December of 19 out down there. So uh, I will be there for about a week this time, not for a day, and um, uh, I'm excited to go. And uh, you know, I, I'll probably go there maybe once. I would say no more than twice a year because it is a really, really long flight. It's expensive. And, you know, we've gotten so good at uh, doing meetings uh, uh, online, you know, through Teams or Zoom or whatever that, uh, you know, I, I can justify, you know, doing it once, maybe twice a year. Um, and then I have the office in London that does all of our international sales. And there I used to go four times a year. Um, I got a chance to live there for two years, a few years back, back in 2011 to 13. Um, so, I mean, I've gotten to have such amazing, I mean, the reason everybody says, how can you be at a company for 40 years? And it really is the way the company treats you. And if I have literally felt like part of the family from day one, um, and obviously we've become a huge corporation. When I started, we had three ships, Mardi Gras, Carnival, and Festival. Um, the reason I got hired is because we had built the very first ship uh, that was new and cruising uh, for, uh, in 1982. That was for the Tropical. And then from then on, we just had a huge growth spurt, eventually acquired all these other brands. We have nine brands, about 100 ships in the entire Carnival Corporation fleet. And I've gotten to do so many cool things as a result of being part of Carnival. Um, you know, go to places like Cambodia, Vietnam. I, I opened up an office once in the Philippines. I opened an office in the Colorado Springs. I uh, got to live in London for two years. Um, and it was it's just been an amazing uh time uh, and they've taken really good care of me and I, I feel like it's part of my family and I owe everything I have to Carnival and to the travel agents who support Carnival uh, every single day. So that's very wonderful. grateful. That's wonderful. Just for a sec, tell us a little bit about how you got started because it's a good story. <laughs> so I've actually been cruising since I was 11. That was back in 1976. Uh, my parents took us on a weekend cruise out of Miami on the Monarch Sun, which coincidentally used to be a Holland America ship. Uh, and uh, we loved it. And uh, we started cruising every year after that. Uh, I remember our next uh, cruise was on Norwegian. We went on the Skyward for seven days. That was our first seven-day cruise. And, you know, as a, as a kid, you know, you get so much independence on a cruise ship because, you know, there's no real place you can, you know, go run away or anything. And you're on board the ship. And even though back then, you know, the programs that we have today were not around, um, but I still got to roam around the ship, go to the pool and, you know, do things on my own, even as an 11 or 12, 13 year old kid, which, you know, you probably wouldn't let somebody do that at a resort somewhere. So um, 
we, you know, we'd been on a bunch of cruises and I started working at this health club called, um, whatever it was called, I can't remember. And I worked at the juice bar. So I was responsible for making, uh, you know, like the smoothies and all that kind of stuff. And I was still a junior in high school. And one day they, uh, they told me, uh, and every once in a while I'd have to help out with dishwashing because it was part of a restaurant that they had at the, at the club. And they had me wash dishes and nothing against dishwashers, but touching other people's food and plates grosses me out. And I did it with disgust the whole time. Thank God <laughs> there are people that do it. Um, but I hated it. So anyway, it was every once in a while so I could live with it. Then one day uh, my boss called me and she told me that um, I was going to start uh, being a full-time dishwasher because they were closing the juice bar, didn't make enough money. And I was like, oh, okay. And coincidentally, I had applied at Carnival for this embarkation job probably a month and a half before, maybe two months. I hadn't heard back from them. And when I got home that day, that day after being told by Gloria, I'll never forget the manager's name that said I was going to be a dishwasher. Um, she, uh, I got a call and they said, you're hired. We need your uniform size so you can start on January 2nd. And I was like, yes. So I went <laughs> back the next day. I said, I just want you know, I'm not coming back. I quit. She goes, you're not giving me any notice. And I said, I'm not giving you notice. You didn't give me any notice that I was going to be a dishwasher. I don't want to be a dishwasher. And I got another job. So I left and started January 2nd, 1982. And, uh, uh, you know, did a bunch of different jobs at Carnival, you know, as it was going through the ranks, uh, embarkation agent, uh, reservations agent, I, embarkation supervisor, reservation supervisor. Eventually, I started running the call centers um, in uh, 2000. So it was 2000, uh, 1991. I became director of reservations. And uh, at the time that I got the, that job, we had 80 people in reservations. By the time I stopped doing that job and moved to London for Carnival, um, I had um, over 1,500 employees across three different call centers. Um, that, uh, so it, it was a really fun 20 years, but uh, I was ready for a change. And that London opportunity came just at the right time. Uh, and then, you know, the rest is history. That is awesome. Awesome. What a, what an experience. And I got to tell you, my first cruise was in 1972. I was seven years old. So you guys can do the math. And that was aboard the Mardi Gras. And Oh, wow. That's the first year we launched. That was our first year. That was 50 years ago. Yeah. My mother was a travel agent. And so So we're the same age. Could be, could be. Yes. 57. Uh, Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was my first experience in a, in a full cruise. We did some of the, Short cruises were out of uh, Fort Lauderdale, I believe, where you would cruise over to Grand Bahama, get off, stay two or three nights, and get back home. But the Mardi Gras was the first uh, first full cruise I ever went on. My first cruise was in 1980, so you guys have me beat. But it was uh, Greek islands on Sunlines, the old uh, Stella Solaris which mm-hmm. at the time was the largest cruise ship in the Mediterranean, but was probably like 50,000 tons, you know, compared yeah. to compared to what today, uh, Adolfo for the big ships. So for the Mardi Gras, so the XL class ships are about 183,000 gross registered tons. And everybody should know that that's not the weight of the ship. Everybody thinks that's how much the ship weighs, but it's really a measure of the uh, enclo- enclosed space of the ship. And they measure it, I think, in cubic uh, 
every hundred cubic feet or something uh, is considered a gross registered ton. So that's really what the gross registered tonnage is, not the actual weight of the ship. So you could fit four or five of the ship <laughs> that I sailed mm-hmm. on inside. Well, look, the, Mar- the fantasy class ships, the ones that we you know, started back in, I forgot what year we started uh, with the fit first fantasy class ship. Each one of those uh, is two, or, or, the, or the Excel class ships are two and a half times the size of those. So as we retired four of them at one point, now six of them, uh, and replaced it with an Excel class ship, you know, you're basically you know back to exactly what you were you know before you got rid of the four ships. So it's uh, it really is amazing. And you know, I'll be honest, I'll I'll say this because I uh, you know we don't have the largest cruise ship in the world. Royal Caribbean does. There's just over 200 and some odd thousand gross registered tons. So I mean, really the uh, the the size and scale of ships is uh, amazing today. Um, they uh, well, they really are amazing. That that's something I think we'd like to talk about. Look, uh, a lot of our listeners are experienced cruisers, cruise lovers. I am sure, but also I'm sure that we have uh, amongst our listeners people who've never been on a cruise, and so I want to mm-hmm. speak to them for a minute. I think statistically, it's something like seventy five percent of the population in the U.S. hasn't been on a cruise, right? Yeah, I think that number. It's a, it's a- yeah, staggering number, yeah. Right. So um, let's talk to them for just a minute. And I know this is a real big topic, but I know the cruise experience is very different from my ship in its day in 1980 or the ships you guys started on in the 70s, uh, sailed on in mm-hmm. the 70s. Uh, just give us your view. What do you think of when you think of the cruise experience? And I think, you know, the real question is, why should people cruise? Yeah. So look, it's a, it's a great question. And, you know, everybody talks about, you know, other cruise lines being our competitors. And yeah, of course we are competing with other cruise lines. Um, But really what we're competing against are land-based destinations. I think in 2019, there were about 30 million cruisers around the world. And I can't tell you how many millions go to um, uh, the place in um, Missouri or or the brand. What is it? Bransford? Branson. 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 uh, And there's probably that many people that go there. And just imagine the number of people that go to Las Vegas every year, the, the millions and millions. So, uh, really, we're competing against land-based vacations. And I think part of the reason that it's hard for people who've never been on a cruise um, to even consider it is they have these misconceptions uh, that are kind of barriers to them to you know going on board. People think that you're going to go on a cruise ship and you're going to feel confined, that you're going to get seasick, that you're going to be standing in long lines all the time, and that you know it's going to be you know boring and nothing to do and what do I do between the ports when the you know stays at sea? I think that those are thoughts that you know we've probably all done surveys to find out what are these uh, barriers to to cruising, um, and they, they've never really changed. No matter how big the ships have gotten, how much marketing we've all done as an industry, um, it, it really just you know these are just natural things that come to people's minds. So what I will tell you is. Uh, even back in 1970s or whatever, I mean, my first cruise, I loved it. I mean, it, I didn't feel confined. I mean, I was a kid, obviously. But even on the ships that aren't as big as the Mardi Gras, you don't feel confined. There are so many places to go. And as we've built bigger and better ships, um, uh, 
you know, the, the amount of space that you have and the different venue you have. So you're not, you know, Mardi Gras is a perfect example. She, she can carry over 6,000 guests. Um, and you, I was on board, uh, recently for a few days. Um, and I think we had over 5,600 on board. Um, and I had been on it once before there were 4,000, right. On the first inaugural sailing. Um, and, uh, soon after we started, you know, restarted cruising. And when there were 4,000 people, I mean, it was, you know, for sure there was, you know, it, was, it didn't feel empty, but it certainly was less dense than it normally would be. Uh, with 5,500 people on board, I, I really didn't see any lines um, because we've, you know, there are so many different options that are scattered around the ship for meals, let's say. So during the day, I mean, there were always lounge chairs available. The pools had space. We have adults area, adults areas that, you know, only adults, could, they were all, you know, you could tell there was a vibe on board. There were people and it was fun, but you didn't never felt overcrowded. Um, and the way that we've, we've designed, I mean, this ship, because it ha can carry so many guests, we had to be very mindful about the disbursement of the passengers or the guests on board the ship by moving, you know, having things all over the ship. So it never felt really crowded. So um, that, you know, that, that, feeling of being confined it doesn't feel like that um at, you know at least i've never had it. we have really nice staterooms that are comfortable and large especially if you get a balcony or at least a window um you, you know you definitely get the sense of space um and uh and then all the different activities i mean we have a roller coaster for god's sakes on the mardi gras we have a ropes <laughs> course we have uh you know zip line we have pools we have a spa we have a gym uh two comedy clubs there's i mean there's just so much to do and it really is one of the easiest ways, like if you think about Europe, so a lot of Americans might be intimidated about going to Europe. Uh, you know, I don't speak the language. Uh, I have to pay in a different currency. Uh, well, how do I, you know, exchange money? How do I do this? How do I do that? And I think it puts them off sometimes. But like for an example, a, a European cruise, we have ships that sail in Europe. Uh, our brand plus our sister brands have a lot of uh, European departures. Um, it's the perfect way if you're going to go to Europe for the very first time and you feel that kind of sense of, of intimidation because of what all the things I just mentioned. I mean, you're on board a ship mostly full of Americans with, you know, obviously some international guests. You're getting the opportunity to visit some amazing places in amazing countries in Europe. Uh, you're getting to, you know, take a shore excursion that is run by somebody who speaks English that can help you with translation if they need to, that can help you with all the things you need. Um, and then you get an opportunity to really like check out these, these places. And you know what, if the following year you said, I love, I loved being in Barcelona or I loved Rome or whatever, then you can go back and you've already kind of experienced it. You know, you know where to go, but the easiest way to really get to know, uh, you know, Europe, uh, especially for Americans who can be intimidated in that sense, um, that I think it's like the best vacation. And the same thing goes with all the Caribbean islands. I mean, we go to a bunch of, you know, you can go three or four stops in a week. Um, and you have to unpack once and repack once and everything's there for you. You don't have to worry about anything. Um, and it's just the convenience, uh, and the simplicity of really being able to disconnect and not have to worry about, okay, I need to transfer from this city to that city and, a uh, you know, a hotel here and a taxi there. And then how do I eat a restaurant? And no, everything is, everything is easy. So if you want a carefree vacation, uh, you know, to experience multiple places, and have the convenience of packing and unpacking once. Uh, it, I mean, you can't beat the, the the experience and the value you get. Cruising is really affordable. I, I 
absolutely concur with you. And more importantly, guests uh, agree with you because you meet a lot of people who the cruise ship becomes the destination for them, right? And yes. I know, I, I know experienced cruisers who cruise over and over again. And at this point, they sometimes don't get off the ship in port. I'm one of those. <laughs> I'm one of yeah. those. I, li- I love the ship when we're in port. Right. No one's on the ship. They're enjoying the spa and the restaurants. And and when you're traveling in Europe or those kinds of places, uh, new places to you, you don't have to worry, will I like the hotel? Will I like the restaurants? Will I find places that I'm comfortable in? You know, will I feel lost? Will I feel alienated because I don't speak the language or because I've never been here before? You know, so it does take a lot of that away for first time visitors to certain areas of the world. And clearly there are areas of the world where a cruise is really the best way to, um, Go to those areas, at least for yeah. the first time. You know, Europe is a yep. great example. The Greek islands Antarctica. are a great example. <laughs> yeah, Antarctica. Right. Um, Europe is a great example. Yeah. Uh, uh, Greece, the Greek islands, you know. Yeah. So, oh God, yeah. Um, anyhow, so you're giving us a great idea uh, of what it's like to be on board. Um, yeah, there are these old myths we could all recount them and we've come so far it is frustrating that we still have to answer some of those right after yeah, no, it, you know in my case 30 years i've been answering the same myths about I, cruising I, I think it's just a natural feeling when you don't really understand something you've never experienced it you maybe watched, you know, movies about, you know, transatlantic ocean liners and stuff of, the, you know, days gone by. Um, and, you know, it's easy to think that. The other thing that people think is they're going to get seasick. Look, there's no guarantee that the ships are going to be perfectly smooth. They're, you know, we're in the ocean. Uh, oceans can get rough sometimes. But for the vast majority of the time, I mean, first of all, these ships are so big. They have super modern stabilizing systems. On the Mardi Gras, you would have never known you were at the ocean, you know, on the ocean. Uh, I have been on ships where, you know, it's been rocky. I did a transatlantic on the QE2 once from Southampton to New York. And, um, you know, if that had been my first cruise, I don't think I would have ever gone again uh, because it was really rough those first two days. But, you know, I knew what to expect uh, on that on that sailing. Um, the North Atlantic can obviously be uh, pretty rough, but that's not a typical, you know, cruise holiday that people take. Um, uh, and you're, you know, sailing typically in the Caribbean. The Mediterranean is very, uh, you know, calm. Uh, the Caribbean is, is, is calm as well. The Gulf of Mexico. Um, and, uh, uh, so it, and I mean, these that ships are like natural. floating cities. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. huge. So let's, let's look forward uh, a bit. Yes. Um, in the, you know, the next year or two, you've already talked about a carnival has so many new ships on the schedule to, uh, launch, but, um, what else is coming in cruising? Anything else changing uh, on board the ships and the experience? Yeah. 
So look, we're always evolving the product. Um, we can't, you know, we can't deliver today the product that we delivered in the eighties or the nineties or even the early two thousands. So we have had to evolve. I think that um, what you're seeing in the cruise industry in general, and especially, you know, at Carnival for sure, we've you know adopted this philosophy is that people are looking for more options on board, less structure, because that, that's another one of those barriers. People feel like I'm going to have to eat dinner at this time, at this place with the same people every single night. Well, guess what? That's not the case anymore. Uh, we have so many different dining options. We have either the traditional uh, main and late dining seating that some people just love. They love to sit at the same table every night, have the same waiter, get to know their waiter, um, and that's fine for them. And then we have your time dining in the big dining rooms, and you can go anytime between 5.30 and 9 o'clock, let's say. But then we also have other options. We have some free options that you can do where you can kind of just say, I'm going to go have dinner at this place today. I'm going to have sushi today or teppanyaki, or I'm going to go to the steakhouse or the chef's table. Um, so you have so many more options. And I, I just think that, you know, as a cruise industry, that's what the customer is wanting and expecting. That's what new cruisers need to understand so they can get over some of those barriers. People who are, you know, uh, you know, kind of hesitant, you know, to walk across that gangway um, that, you know, the products have evolved and that's just going to continue to get better and better over the years. As the ships have gotten bigger, there are more opportunities for the, for us to be able to give you that kind of flexibility that you love and enjoy about not being, you know, uh, in a rigid kind of schedule the entire time. So I, I see that, you know, continuing. Um, and, you know, like I said, we've seen that in our new builds, uh, as well as the other cruise lines. Uh, you know, we're all, we're all working towards that because that's what people expect. I also think uh, because we are so committed um, to, uh, you know, carbon emissions, uh, the type of fuel we're using, uh, we've gone through a million different things on board the ships uh, as far as lighting. So LED lights versus regular lighting. Um, you know, we started uh, LNG ships. You know, I'm sure we're looking at technologies because LNG is not the end of the way for us to be more environmentally, uh, you know, uh, protective. So, you know, I'm sure that there's other technologies that are being looked at. I've heard about lithium battery operated ships that, you know, obviously maybe not on, on the scale that we have today. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of uh, stuff going on in that sense. And how do we make that better? Um, we've, we've installed in the ships that run on the regular mar uh, marine fuel. Uh, we call them scrubbers or they used to be called scrubbers. I forgot their official title now, but basically it's uh, attached to the exhaust system. And the system actually cleans the exhaust before it leaves the, the funnel of the ship. Um, and we spent millions of dollars. Um, another thing that's a huge, uh, 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 you know, impact on the, on the environment, believe it or not, is food waste. So how do we, how are we going to be able to, um, uh, to better manage, you know, food waste? Because people go on board, they go to a buffet and they pile a bunch of stuff on their food and guess what? It ends up in the trash. Um, so that's something that, you know, we're always focused on. The other thing that people don't necessarily know is that the itineraries, right? So we have a team of people at Carnival whose sole job it is to plan itineraries. And their goal is to drive down the cost of fuel on all of those, uh, not, the, not only the cost, but the consumption of fuel, which, you know, they go hand in hand, obviously. But they're looking at uh, tides, uh, tide, uh, current, uh, currents, you know, which order they should go in. Um, one of the other things that we're doing is, so we have a few private destinations. So uh, Half Moon Key, which is one of the top rated uh, shore uh, uh, 
uh, port calls that we have, which is a private island in the Bahamas. Um, and, you know, it's very close to the U.S., so it doesn't require a lot of fuel burn to get there. So that's helping. We're, we just uh, broke ground uh, on Grand Bahama Island. We're, we're creating a uh, private destination on Grand Bahama that will accommodate two XL class ships at a time with piers. Um, and, you know, it's going to provide the ability for guests to not only see the beauty of Grand Bahama, but also have a place where if they don't feel like going out, like some of those people you said that have been there, done that, uh, but really enjoy the destination that we've created. Um, and, you know, that, again, uh, is great for guest satisfaction and helps us reduce fuel consumption uh, because they are close by. Um, but, uh, I mean, this that I just think that that's something that is going to be at the top of our mind going forward. Um, we we uh, There's this one other thing that we just recently installed across the fleet. They're called food digesters. And that sounds gross, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Right. So we used to have, so in order for us not to uh, pollute the environment with plastic and toothpicks and paper and all that kind of stuff, we literally had a team of people going through and imagine me being grossed out by the uh, being a dishwasher, going through piles of thrown away food and picking out by hand all those little things that aren't supposed to go into the ocean. And we literally had people, I mean, I've seen pictures. I mean, how they could do this job is just beyond me. So now we've invested in these things called food digesters, and they look like big, roundish refrigerators. Uh, and basically, you put the all the waste in there, the food that it's thrown out, and it will pick out all of the stuff. So the, other, the stuff that wasn't allowed to be, you know, uh, uh, kind of... Uh, ground up and eventually, you know, let out of the ship, this, this system picks all of that out. So we, we get rid of the need for, you know, we are not going to get in trouble because we're not going to accidentally, you know, send out a straw or a toothpick or something. And then they are also by, we have this bacteria that you put in there that actually eats the food and it digests it. And it allows us to make it basically almost like water. Um, and, uh, and, so it's much better on the environment. Obviously, our teams don't have to go through people's, you know, disgusting thrown away food <laughs> hand by hand. And uh, I mean, that's a multi-million, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of an investment uh, that helps support our people and helps support the environment. And uh, and it's the kind of stuff that we're working on to make sure that we make that we become better stewards of the environment, of the oceans that we you know get to travel on every single day. Sure. Look, this this is really important. And I I do think that the cruise industry gets a bad rap here because people are uninformed. So I highly recommend to travelers to check out Carnival site, check out the sites of the cruise lines or other tra travel providers that you're using. And, and they all have a section of their websites that talks about the investment that they're making in protecting the environment and particularly yeah. the cruise industry. We get a lot of this information through CLIA. So you can visit that site, everyone also, and that's cruising.org, cruising.org. And you'll find eye-opening information about what the cruise lines are doing and have done to protect the oceans, to be better stewards of the ports and destinations mm -hmm. that we visit 
And it's not the kind of stuff that gets in the headlines, right? Because no. the media loves a great travel nightmare you right. know, or a yeah. great, a great cruise mistake or story. Right. But, but they don't report about this stuff. So you've got to go out there and, and be an informed traveler because this is really important to everyone, especially we find younger generations and the, the conversation. Well, we all know what the conversation has been about for the last two years. Right. So the yep. question is, what is the conversation going to be about now? And the research, including research from CLIA, tells us that this is the conversation in the travel industry now, is what are we doing yeah. to protect the environment? How can we leave a smaller footprint? How can we be more thoughtful travelers and do things that sustain the planet? And um, I think the cruise lines are kind of leading the way. There's a lot yeah. of information there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it really has become, uh, it, it, it's almost <laughs> annoying because we know, right? But literally at every meeting where Christine talks or now our new uh, CEO for Carnival Corp, Josh Weinstein, uh, David Bernstein, who's our CFO for Carnival Corp. I mean, everybody starts out the meeting about the importance of uh, our responsibility to be good stewards of the oceans and the places we visit. Uh, we have uh, very aggressive goals by 2050 to be, uh, you know, net neutral or zero, whatever the, the term is, uh, carbon emissions. Uh, how we get there, we're still not sure, but that's our goal and we're working towards it. So it takes, you know, baby steps, but we've made huge progress over the last many years. And I'll tell you, you know, there probably was a time I, I'll remember. I remember actually sailing on the Monarch Sun back in the day, uh, 1976, um, and we were out at sea. And all of a sudden, you see a trail of plastic garbage bags being thrown off the ship. So there was a time, like probably every industry, you know, in in the world, where the environment nobody really cared about it that much. And you know, we did things back then that we would never imagine doing today. Uh, and we've made so much progress. Um, and look, we've self-reported. I mean, we were, you know, I'm not going to lie. We were on probation because we screwed up a few times. Uh, one of our sister brands did a couple of things. and uh, But we actually reported it ourselves uh, because it was wrong and we had to do the right thing. And, um, you know, we've gotten through that probationary period or we were on probation, um, but we've, we've dedicated tons of resources and time to uh to this topic to make sure that you know from you know from now on from whenever we started that that this was never going to be an issue again and we always have we have this speak up uh policy at, at carnival on board and stuff where it says if you see something wrong report it so we're trying to ingrain that in the culture of everybody and realize that they will not have repercussions for reporting something that somebody does that they're not supposed to do. And that's exactly what's happened. And that's, you know, we're not perfect, but we're certainly striving to be uh, uh, as perfect as we can be in that sense uh, by so many different things that we're, you know, working on, on that topic. And it is, it is very uh, current uh, news now. And, and it's important not only because it's news, but because it's important to the planet and to, you know, everybody who lives on it. So and Adolfo, you have been so gracious with your time today, and we really appreciate you um, stepping in and sharing with our listeners all the, you know, positive impacts that Carnival's having on the travel industry. Um, and, and we do like to close with kind of one thing from each of our guests 
So um, we would like to ask, is there one travel tip? And it doesn't necessarily have to be a cruise tip. Could be. Maybe not. What's the one travel tip that you would share with our listeners that would make their travels more enjoyable, less stress, stressful? Um, so, I mean, it's, it's going to sound a little, uh, I don't know if self-serving is the right word, but it's, it's the honest truth. Look, travel has become more complicated today than it was, you know, three years ago or four or five years ago um, for a multitude of reasons. One, obviously the pandemic, which caused all sorts of confusion, changing protocols, depending which country you're going to. Do you need a test? Do you need a vaccine? Do you need a PCR? Do you need an antigen? Um, and uh, that has really, you know, what I think it's done is added value to a travel advisor. Uh, why would you, you know, try to figure this out all on your own when you can call your travel advisor um, and have them do the work for you? Because you know what? We're always constantly talking to, to our trade partners or travel agents about what's going on. And, you know, every cruise line has its own thing and every airline and every country and every hotel chain and uh, car company. And for a consumer to have to try to figure that out on their, on their own, why would you do that when you can go to a travel advisor who you don't have to pay them yourselves, they're free, and they do all the work for you. Um, and it, talk about having a hassle-free, easy way to uh, travel uh, go to somebody who's an expert and uh, is staying on top of those things because it's it's to their be- it's in their best interest to do so um, to make sure that you have the best vacation you can have whether it's on a cruise or a land resort or a trip to go visit your friends in you know Madrid or whatever it is um, uh, it really takes the hassle out of travel um, and uh, I, that that would be my advice and I'm not just saying that because of our relationship with you guys uh, you guys are obviously great with us uh, and um, this this is absolutely what I believe firmly, and uh, and uh, and that's that's Great. the easiest way to book any travel. Well, thank you. I'm sure James will agree with you wholeheartedly. <laughs> <laughs> well, not not only that, but I think we should take a minute. You know, Adolfo is the guy who developed the Agent Palooza bus tour for Carnival and the Travel Agents Rock program. So he's not just talking. I mean, he really, this has been um, part of the, an important part of the carnival's success over the last decade. And, um, and Adolfo has really demonstrated his commitment (laughs) to this idea in a rather unique way. And we really, we can't end with you without uh, asking you to tell us about it. Yeah. So uh, on our first Agent Palooza bus tour, I think it was 2017. Um, so we had, that was actually the longest one we did. That was probably too long of a trip. It was a lot of bus riding. Um, and uh, it was, uh, we were doing a stop. We started in Houston. Our next stop was New Orleans. We have ships in Galveston, obviously New Orleans. Uh, and New Orleans was the big spot. And that's where we were doing kind of the, the biggest event of all. And uh, the ad agency we were working with, the creative agency, had proposed, we were on a call with my team and myself and them, and they were like, we have three ideas for you to do uh, at this event. And one of them, I can't remember what the other two were, but one of them was get a tattoo that says Travel Agents Rock. And I was like, well, why would anybody care about it? I'm not going to, you know, a fake tattoo, what's the big deal about that? And they're like, no, 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 we mean a real tattoo. <laughs> and I said, mm-hmm. really? 
uh huh. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to ask the team. What do you guys? If you guys could pick one of the three things, and I, like I said, I have no idea what the other ones were because this is the one that stuck out. And they all said the tattoo. So I said, okay, then I'll do it. And uh, we hired this uh, this uh, tattoo artist, famous tattoo artist in Miami, who flew up to uh, New Orleans. Um, and on stage, uh, I was on stage at this really. I mean, it was a really big event, um, and uh, I got a tattoo. And everybody to this day, I mean, this this is news that made it around the world. I found it like in Dutch. I mean, yeah, in, in Dutch language uh, media, and uh, you know, carnival executive gets tattoo, and um, it is real. It's permanently there. I've never uh, have people told me that I was going to regret putting it on. I'm like, no, I won't. I said because everything that I've had in my life, I owed it uh, the fact that travel agents were the ones who supported the cruise industry when it was a young and fledgling industry. Uh, and had it not been for all the hard work they did and support and faith they had in our industry, we wouldn't be where we are today. And I wouldn't have all the amazing experiences and the things that I've been able to you know, get uh, you know, in my lifetime. So I don't regret it. I wear it proudly. Uh, it's never coming off. I will not change it to Travel Advisors Rock, as some have suggested. Uh, but uh, Travel Agents Rock just kind of rolls off the tongue a little bit better. And uh, I think one tattoo is enough. So <laughs> I think it, that's amazing. And we, we will never forget, <laughs> we'll never forget you did that. And I've asked my wife if I could put a carnival logo on the roof of my beach house. But uh, she, <laughs> she said no. <laughs> well, She's you know what? You know what's it. really interesting. So, M- Mickey M- Mickey Arison, who's the chairman of Carnival Corp, his father started the business in 1972. Ted Arison, and li- I had I had told him I didn't tell him what I was doing, and I had told him I said make sure because he's he's basically our chief social media officer. Believe it or not, he's like all over social media. He if I put something, he'll say, "Hey, why'd you do this?" or "Why did you do that?" and He's super involved to probably an annoying detail uh, to the marketing team. Uh, but, you know, he obviously is a very intelligent man that has, uh, you know, helped build this company. And the first comment I got when I got off the stage, I got a text on my phone and Mickey said, you have officially lost your mind. He <laughs> 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 saw it on the Facebook live. And, but I mean, to this day, I mean, he, he says, you know, it was brilliant that you did that. And it's, it, you know, he, but he thought I was nuts. And I said, no, I said, I, I'm glad I did it. And it was, uh, but he was literally the first comment I got from anyone uh, was the, was you've officially lost your mind. I should have kept that text. <laughs> I'll send you another one. Um, listen, <laughs> we really, really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. It was fascinating to talk with you. No, same here. I really appreciate the invite, and it was a lot of fun. Thank you. Great. That was great feedback and information from Adolfo, Senior Vice President of Global Sales at Carnival Corporation. Next up, we have our deal guru, Jessica Deverson. Welcome, Jessica. (laughs) Thanks for having me, guys. How are you? (laughs) Hey, Jessica. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. What do you have on tap for us this week? All right. So um, 
like a little bit of a different kind of format than just handing you deals this week. I kind of wanted to touch on a theme in travel, but don't worry, I'll end with deals. So you'll still get your your, your deals. But um, I kind of wanted to preface it with um, August is Wellness Awareness Month. And, you know, wellness is the act of practicing healthy habits on a daily basis for, uh, you know, better physical health and mental health and social well-being and, um, you know, so that you're thriving, you're not just surviving. And wellness is directly linked to health. And, um, you know, I wanted to talk about this because now this is becoming a theme in travel. And you might have heard of some wellness-themed trips and tourism and that sort of thing. So um, with people better understanding the significance and role that uh, health and wellness play in their lives, there's definitely a movement toward wellness and travel tourism. Um, And pre-COVID, this was already a trending theme. And post-COVID, it's really taken off. You know, I think, you know, in the past few years, people had the opportunity to really slow down to take a break from quote unquote, like normal, busy life. Um, And, you know, everybody's now more aware of what's important. And that could be health, that could be wellness, quality of life, family time, just overall balance. And so a focus on these sort of ideas has really propelled wellness travel in the last few years. Um, And wellness travel specifically, um, if you haven't, you know, put two and two together already, it really just like allows a traveler to maintain or enhance or kickstart even a healthy lifestyle and just kind of support and increase one's sense of well-being. And, you know, for so many years and for those who might not be familiar with wellness, it's really, it's been synonymous with kind of the spa experience. But really today, um, the main pillars of wellness travel are healthy food options, fitness activities, immersion in nature, meditation time, and so on. And so I just kind of wanted to briefly discuss wellness and, um, you know, how it's starting to apply to the travel and tourism sphere. And there's a ton of options out there when it comes to wellness travel. So I would definitely recommend working with a travel advisor um, to determine the best options for you. Um, Some travel advisors are even certified wellness experts. So definitely um, something you can talk to the types of trips and brands and things like that. Definitely something you can talk to a travel advisor about. Or me, with- I, I I am an expert, <laughs> Are you an expert? in well in wellness in relax travel. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it really does um, interest me and attract me. And I a couple of years ago went out to Canyon Ranch in the Southwest, the Desert Southwest, and had the most amazing experience. I mean, you think healthy food, yuck, right? But it actually is like a, a five star restaurant with the most incredible food and uh yet they're watching calories and they're watching fat content and so on and so the food is actually really good for you and then you know you're i was up at six or seven in the morning for tai chi out in the desert and and bike riding and um all kinds of and you know the pampering stuff too spa stuff, massage stuff, and so on. But it really was one of my favorite vacations ever. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And and that's the thing. All of these trips, all of these sort of wellness trips, you can you can make them your own. So if you're not into yoga, you know, don't do yoga. If you don't want to eat healthy, then don't. There's something for everyone and it's all kind of interconnected. And really the goal of these trips is just to leave you is hopefully that you leave feeling a, a sort of sense of connection with yourself, with the world, just kind of feeling energ re-energized and that sort of thing. So yeah, whatever leaves you feeling that way, that's great. That's awesome. It sounds beautiful. Beautiful where you went. Um, 
But first up, I have G Adventures. And so this is a really great tour company for all ages. Um, so they do have specific age groups um, for, for younger generations. Um, but there's definitely tours for everybody for all ages, children all the way through uh, mature adults uh, and something in between. And they believe travel connects us to the planet, to the people, to ourselves. They have a great wellness lineup um, created to recharge the body, nourish the mind. Their tours offer you know, a balance between inspiring destinations and rejuvenating activities, healthy food experiences. So sort of like what you were talking about, you know, they start their, um, you know, they start your trip with the intention ceremony and, you know, they have yoga meditation with experts, they have healthy food options. And um, so, and they really welcome all levels of abilities. And so you don't have to feel intimidated if you're just starting your wellness journey. Um, Everybody's welcome and they'll, you know, they'll help you along the way. And they have it in the most beautiful locations. So think India, Bali, Iceland, Peru, Costa Rica, Colombia. And right now, so like I said, I do have deals. <laughs> and right now, Bali, Iceland, and Costa Rica departures are all 20% off. So like not up to not, you know, like, uh, you know, any, any gimmicks or anything, just 20% off. So uh, if you want to book those, I would get on them. I'm sure the departure dates are filling up quickly because that's a great deal. That is a great deal. What a way to treat yourself and save some money at the same time. Absolutely, right? A wellness of the wallet as well, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like that. <laughs> and then next up, we have Oceana Cruises. So they take a holistic approach to well-being, and they really um, they've refitted all of their existing ships, and they're building all of their new ships with this Aquamar Vitality Center. So it's available on every ship now, and um, everything from spa experiences, you know, the usual what you think of as a spa experience, to um, therapy, massages, detoxifying whirlpools. Um, it's all part of Oceana's uh, kind of wellness philosophy. They're there's onboard presentations, fitness classes. You can get one-on-one training consultations. Um, their menu is plant-based on board. Um, they have special menus on board that are plant-based, and they only use fresh ingredients, the whole foods, gourmet, um, healthy options available all day. They have the only cold-pressed raw juice and smoothie bar at sea. Um, I'll tell you what, I've, I've eaten on an Oceana ship before, and it's some of the best food I've ever had. Not, not on a ship or not on a cruise, not on vacation, just ever. It was amazing amazing. So um, I'm assuming it's really incredible food as far as their plant-based menu goes as well. Plant-based, I just have a quick (laughs) question. Do bagels, are bagels in there plant-based? I'm not sure. really broke down like wheat (laughs) and grain plant-based, right? (laughs) Okay. This is an important question, so I'll research it. (laughs) I'm sure it's BYOB, like bring your own bagels. So. But they have some really unique, immersive, like wellness experiences. So they do exclusive wellness discovery tours. And so once you're um, off the ship and on on land, they have uh, some wellness experiences. We're in Europe, South America, Asia, um, Australia, New Zealand. They actually bring you on these excursions and teach you about timeless wellness traditions and practices, which sounds very cool, um, but like very unique experience. And so, uh, you know, their their whole philosophy is to encourage a healthy healthy lifestyle. And, you know, they want travelers to discover their best self, to live well, to travel well. And right now, Oceana, um, they actually have uh, 10% savings for all past guests. 
They have um, discounted single supplements for those solo travelers out there. And then they have their O-Life Choice offer, which is kind of a standing offer, but it's really great. So they have the two-for-one cruise fares, the free round-trip airfare with airport transfers, and then you get to select an amenity. And so that amenity would be eight shore excursions, beverage package, or up to $800 onboard credit. Um, But when you book with certain travel advisors, like I always say, you get even more amenities. I keep saying this each week. Um, Always check with your travel advisor first because you do get that extra special add-on value. Um, So the add-on value for the Oceana Cruises, when you book with a travel advisor, um, you can get either free prepaid gratuities or um, a private host and a private cocktail party and an exclusive shore event. So really great add-ons when you're booking with a travel advisor. You can't just go get that on their website. So definitely reach out to an advisor. Yeah, great. Um, this is such a growing uh, ask from customers from my point of view. I just hearing this more and more, more active vacations um, and vacations that focus on the wellness, you know, things that routines that people have at home. Like a lot of people do go to the gym, go to yoga, go to, and they want to continue to do that when they're traveling and maybe even kick it up a notch. So, um, and we all need a little wellness after the last couple of years. That's probably what's pushing this trend too, right? Definitely, definitely. And then also think of wellness as ecotourism and responsible tourism and that sort of thing, the wellness of the people around you. And then also the wellness of our planet. So think sustainable travel and that sort of thing. All of these add to your general sense of wellness and well-being and overall, you know, experience of feeling like your best self, like you're thriving. So definitely a lot of options out there. Definitely talk to a travel advisor. Excellent. Well, Jessica, thank you so much. It's been a great topic and um, some great real travel opportunities to put against it. So we really appreciate having you. Looking forward to uh, the deals you find for us for next week. So that was Jessica Deverson, our deal guru, and that will help wrap up our episode number eight of No Tourists Allowed. Thank you for listening, and please share uh, our um, website, notouristallowed.com with your friends uh, so that they may be able to subscribe. And if you have a question for James or myself or any kind of request, there's a place on notouristallowed.com to post that and we'll be happy to respond to you. Thank you, everybody. Great episode. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to No Tourists Allowed. No Tourists Allowed was produced by the Greenville Podcast Company. See you next week for another episode.